heart, Lord, and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Thank you very much, Steve. Do keep that open, page 555, Psalm 24, and uh, let's pray together now. Father, that was one uh, terrific psalm, and thank you that you inspired David to write that all those years ago. Pray, Lord, that you might use uh, these words, your word, to speak to us this morning, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder what's the, um, what's the best day of your life so far? Uh, maybe it was uh, that time when you, you knew you'd passed your finals, or perhaps it was the birth of your first child, or the day you got married, or maybe the key to uh, getting the keys to your first home, or uh, the day you became a Christian, or, or whatever it was. What's the best day of your life so far? And what did you do? What did you, how did you celebrate? Um, I remember when um, uh, I was at a theological college in Oxford and uh, I had to do the degree in theology, which is uh, more an endurance test than anything, not a test of theology at all, just a test of if you could manage to get through 11 exams in five and a half days. And, uh, and at the end of those, uh, I remember with, uh, going with Andrew, our tutorial, uh, my tutorial partner, back to our theological college, and we were so completely just emptied exhausted. We sat underneath an oak tree and Anna turned up with a bottle of champagne. Now, we're not, we're not kind of usually drink champagne, that's the slightest excuse, but uh, anyway, we had that and we just kind of sat there in stunned kind of bleh, exhaustion and emptiness uh, for ages, I think it was. That's one way of celebrating anyway. But, uh, um, but uh, has anyone, I wonder, has anyone actually um, written a psalm by way of celebration? Because that's what David did. And uh, that, that a, lot of, a number of, quite a lot of people think that actually this was written on the best day of David's life. And he celebrated either by writing this psalm for that day or writing this psalm on that day. And that day was when the ark was brought to Jerusalem. It's in 2 Samuel 6, it's in uh, 1 Chronicles 15 and 16. And it was a great day for David because he was bringing the ark of God with the Ten Commandments and representing God's presence with his people to God's place, God's city, to Jerusalem. And in some ways, that was the, the climax of the life of God's people up to that point, or the climax of the life of God's people. They'd come out of uh, Egypt and uh, they'd been heading for God's people in God's place, in God's city with the presence of God with them. And here it is. It's happening. 
It's a highlight. It's a climax of David's life so far. And uh, since then, Psalm 24 was often used when they had one of their big ceremonies or one, one of their big festivals as God's people. They would often use this either on their way to the temple in Jerusalem, hadn't been built at this point, but on their way to the temple in Jerusalem or at some point during their, uh, one of their great Jewish festivals. And it tells us three very important things about God. The first point it tells us is this, that we're thinking here uh, that Lord Almighty is the King of glory. And the key thing is God is our creator. That's the first point. God, our creator. First two verses. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he found it on the seas and established it on the waters. David celebrates God our creator on that uh, writing it on that day when he was dancing before the uh, or for the day when he was dancing before the ark as it was brought into Jerusalem and the first thing he thinks of is God our creator and Christians are very clear we've we've always been clear as a, as a bunch of people that we're not here by accident this universe that we live in did not kind of just happen No, it was created, brought into existence from nothing by our almighty God, our almighty creator God. And the emphasis in these first two verses is is the Lord who has done it. So in verse 1, in the original it says, the Lord, big bold capitals underlined and everything, the earth and everything in it. And then in the second verse, uh, the emphasis is on he founded it. Again, bold capitals underlined and all the rest of it. This is God's doing. These verses are saying, actually, guys, we are God's doing as well. So on this Harvest Sunday, as we remember the Lord's goodness to us, the starting point uh, is for us to deliberately remember that we and this world, this universe that we live in, are all God's doing. It is extraordinary. And it's extraordinary down to the smallest little detail. So, for instance, uh, Bill Bryson has written his book, A Short History of Nearly Everything. And uh, it's a tremendous book. And uh, in that, he writes this, for instance. uh, Above all, atoms are tiny. Very tiny indeed. Half a million of them lined up shoulder to shoulder could uh, hide behind a human hair. On such a scale, an individual atom is essentially impossible to imagine. But we can, of course, try. So, start with a millimetre. Now, imagine a line one millimetre long divided into a thousand equal widths. Each of these widths is a micron. This is the scale of microorganisms. A typical paramecium, for instance, a tiny single-celled freshwater creature, is about two microns wide, which is really very small. Uh, If you wanted to see with your naked eye a paramecium swimming in a drop of water, you would have to enlarge the drop until it was some 12 metres across. However, if you wanted to see the atoms in the same drop, you would have to make the drop 24 kilometres across. And God created it. The smallest detail at the atomic level and beyond that, 
to the greatest scale. And of course, I could give you loads of statistics and mind-numbing things about uh, the stars in the night sky and the, the nearest one, the light traveling 186,000 miles a second, takes four years to get here. Just extraordinary, our creation. And God did it. Such an extraordinary universe that we live in. And it's God's doing. And he is our creator. And a a couple of specific things to note here. The first one is that it is order out of chaos. Order out of chaos. So you look in verse 2 there. He found it on the seas and established it on the waters. And rivers, waters, seas, when you look at those in the Old Testament in particular, they stand for foreboding and menace and threat and for ongoing restless change. And God brings order to that kind of chaotic creation. He brings it to order. The world, the universe, created out of the chaos to bring order and stability and assurance. And the world is not just founded, it is established, firm and secure and hard to budge. Now, uh, this last Monday and Tuesday, I was uh, up in Leeds at a conference uh, called the Renew Conference, talking about the future of the Church of England. And one of the things coming out of that is that lots of people are wanting to plant churches. There have been loads of initiatives just over the last year of new churches uh, being planted from, uh, from churches like ours, for instance. And uh, one of the things that we were talking about and that this Renew Conference stands for is that these churches are going to be established. They're not just going to kind of pop up and then wither and, and, and fall apart kind of thing. But they're going to be established. They're going to last the course. So, for instance, when we came here 15 years ago, Goldstone, I went down there for, the first, uh, for the first, uh, my first time there, was their 13th birthday. That means Goldstone, we've been here 15 years, so is now 28. It's, it's lasting the course. It is established as a new church. That's what we want. And actually, when God created this universe... He created it and established it firmly and clearly that it would not be moved. It would not be budged until such time as he will decide to create a new heaven and a new earth. The second thing to note here, we're talking about land and life in verse 1. And that they all belong to God. The earth is the Lord, land, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it, life. So it's not just the place, but the people. And it's not just the people, but it's every living creature that we're talking about here. Um, so, for instance, think of your living room. Okay, now, uh, in our living room, for instance, we've got uh, a, a painting and we've got uh, photos and, and, uh, and things like that. And I guess you would have the same. Maybe you've got a, maybe you've got a painting or something you, perhaps you bought on holiday a few years ago. You really liked it, you bought it, maybe you brought it back and you got it framed and so on. It's on the wall in your living room. And you can rightly say, mine, I own it. Now, imagine, how about... You took the photo that you then got framed. And, you know, modesty aside, it's really rather a good one. And so you blew it up and got it framed and it's on the wall in your living room. Or how about you're a bit of an artist and you painted something and it's now framed and it's on the wall in your living room. Well, in those cases, you've got an altogether greater way in which you can say, mine. They're my creation, that creativity behind the lens or that creativity with the brushes and the canvas and so on. It's not just that you own it, you created it. 
Now, that's how God looks at the earth. And that's how God looks at you and me. He looks at us and he looks at this earth. And he knows, well, yeah, I created it and I own it. And there's nowhere and no one on this planet of whom God cannot in that nature, in that way, say mine. Mine. Not just that I bought it, but I've created it. And then for the people here and for creation as well, I bought it as well as Jesus died for us. And uh, brought this back to himself, this rebellious creation of his. So look up at the sky and look at the clouds today. Um, and uh, Or be out in a thunderstorm or looking at a thunderstorm out, out of the window. And we say, wow. And God says, yeah, it's mine. It's mine. Or we look at the flowers and the autumn colors coming in a month or so. And we think, that's stunningly beautiful. And God says, yeah, mine. Or over this last month, as you've seen the combines around, again, the harvest, and you've seen the, the fields of wheat and barley up on the downs just uh, moving with the wind. With, oh, that's fantastic. And God says, yeah, it's mine. Or you're in a few, uh, the beginning of next year, and uh, around about Easter time and so on, with the cows and the sheep, and you think, that's a great sight. And when you talk to Roly and Camilla, and was it 800 lambs this year? <laughs> and uh, that's extraordinary. And we think, who doesn't like love seeing lambs in the field? And the Lord says, yeah, mine. Or say, think of the crowds of people at the Amex, hopefully celebrating an Albion goal. Why couldn't Albion score yesterday up in Newcastle? They're a much better team, weren't they? But anyway, but uh, assuming they do score a goal on their next uh, time at Albion, and everyone's on their feet, and they're screaming and cheering and so on, and God looks all like 28,000 people, however many it is, apart from the away fans, of course, and, uh, uh, who won't be screaming and cheering, but God will look at everyone there. And he says, mine, 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 joyfully mine. Now, how do we respond? Well, for a start, seems to me, pause and look around and pray. Pause and pray and praise God for what you see, that it's his. Pause, pray and praise him. And, of course, take care as well, because God says mine means you can't treat it as if it's just ours. And it seems to me if you borrow something like a a car or a cottage or whatever, you want to treat it well, don't you? I was really surprised the other, the other couple of weeks ago, we were, we'd been away on, on Dartmoor in a cottage there. And after we got home, a couple of days later, the owner of the cottage phoned us up. And they just simply wanted to say, thank you for cleaning it nicely at the end of your stay. I thought, well, surely that's what you do, isn't it? That's what Christians should do. It's not ours. We look after it properly. And actually, when, I, when I'm aware of the cottage, I always like to do something to make it slightly better than it was. So actually, when we were on week on Dartmoor, a couple of saucers were a bit grubby on the bottom, got out the wire wall and cleaned them up a bit. But it's just a little thing. But surely we treat things that aren't ours better than the stuff that is ours, don't we? We should do. And we look after cottages. So men and mountains, when we leave, guys, we're going on Friday, okay? When we leave on Friday week, we will clean that place properly, okay? And if we're leaving on Tuesday, do your room properly before you go, okay? That's what we're going to do because we're Christians, okay? We look after stuff that isn't ours better than the stuff that is ours. That means for our world, God says mine, 
And we want to look after it, therefore. Now, this isn't going to be a sermon on, uh, uh, on eco stuff and so on awfully much, but it is relevant, isn't it? And there's a lot of people going on about plastic at the moment. Good thing too, so we should. And we should seem to be joining in with that. Why on earth is there so much packaging in our supermarkets? Why can't you buy avocados in Waitrose without a shed load of plastic with it? Why can't they sort that out? It can't be that difficult, can it? You can tell this is a sermon preached in Hove, avocados at Waitrose. (laughs) (laughs) But also, uh, you you know, we we need to take care and be concerned for these things. But also, this gives people a unique dignity, doesn't it? So we look, say, an an old deer struggling to cross the road, uh, and and God looks, and he loves, and he says, mine. I have a dignity. So we treat all folks with dignity and respect them. That's why I think it's a particular affront to the Lord's. When we hear of old folks, say, in a care home or maybe in an elderly, elderly mental health care home being abused by their carers, and God says, well, they're mine. And look after them and treat them well in these last months, these last years of their lives. Never despise them, never mock them, never abuse them. They're mine. And it's good to remember at harvest, isn't it? God, our creator, and we give him thanks and praise. But if we stop there, just at that point, on this Harvest Sunday and with Psalm 24, it would be entirely inadequate. We'd be uh, shortchanging the psalm and shortchanging the Lord, because Psalm 24 doesn't stop at verse 2, because it goes on uh, and it grows. So here, we're now going to go on to the second point, verses 3 to 6, God our Saviour. God our Saviour. Now, there's a great assembly going on, a great celebration, most like. That's when these, this psalm was used. And there's a big question in verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? That's Jerusalem. Who may go there, say, to the temple in later years? Who may stand in his holy place? Now, we would say, there, looking back on it from after Jesus, and we'd say, well, actually, he's talking about heaven here. Because God's place, his holy place, is actually heaven. Who may stand in heaven? And that is one huge problem. Because the answer in verse 4 is, well, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So if you've got clean hands and a pure heart, and if you've never trusted an idol or swear by a false god, can you put your hand up? Because there's no one here who can do that. Because I look at myself, have I got clean hands and a pure heart? No. Do I live my life and I've never trusted an idol? No. Do I swear by a false god? Yes, sometimes I do. Okay? And we're all in the same boat. So therefore, how can you stand in this holy place? How can you go to heaven? Jeremiah says, 17 verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? We need a saviour. We need to seek a saviour. I mean, uh, jump on to verse 6 with you. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And then we're going to go back to verse 5. Generation there can be translated breed. Breed, as in a breed of dogs. So, uh, for instance, think of a breed of dogs for a moment. And uh, they have characteristics, don't they? So, for instance, a Jack Russell. 
I think Jack Russells have a bit of an attitude problem, to be honest. I'm going to get into trouble, aren't I? Who's got Jack Russells? Come and see me later. Okay, and I'm sure your Jack Russells are up to fine, but they're, 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 they're rat catchers, aren't they? They're bred to be rat, rat catchers, aren't they? That's what they do, and, uh, if you give them a chance. And, uh, um, uh, and they, they bark a lot, and, and then they bite you. I mean, that's normally... No, <laughs> that's just my experience, okay? Now, or... So that's a breed. That's a Jack Russell, okay? Now, okay, uh, I, if you want to make a point, overstate it. And, uh, um, or, or Labradors which are entirely uh, uh, um, uh, lovely, of course, which is why they're family dogs, aren't they? So you can have your four-year-old can uh, twist the ears, pull the tail, put the hand in its mouth, and it still won't bite them. And uh, uh, now not all the Labradors are the same. Uh, I know we had one when we came here. It wasn't the same as the previous two. Um, but uh, yeah, a breed of a dog has certain characteristics, okay? Now, we, it talks about here, are a breed, Christians are a breed. We have certain characteristics. That's what it's saying here. Such as the breed of those who seek him. They have certain characteristics, okay? And uh, the certain characteristics, first, that we're going to seek him. We're going to seek God's face. And then as we do that, verse 5 the certain characteristics are we receive blessing from the Lord and vindication or, or righteousness, it can be translated, from God our Saviour. So that is God sees us being good, of having good lives, of not having unclean and impure and deceitful hearts. So God our Saviour, now our role as a breed of people, as the, as the Christian breed of human beings, is to seek God's. That's what we do on Sunday mornings, for instance. But it is not just an hour. I mean, if your Christian life is an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, that's not adequate, is it? That's one of the things I was reviewing this book last week. If you weren't here, there's still uh, three, four, including this one on the bookstall, Crazy Love by uh, Francis Chan. Um, I, I don't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, promote everything he's written, but this is a great, great book. It's ten quid. It's, it's reduced to ten quid on the bookstall, okay? And this is just saying, you know, our Christian lives must be our whole life and not just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. So uh, last chance, I guess, this morning at a bookstall to uh, get a copy of that. And, uh, um, but that's what we want to do, isn't it? We want to seek God, but not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. Every morning when we get up, we seek God. That's why we read our Bibles and pray in the morning, because we're a breed of human beings called the Christian breed, and we seek our gods. Day by day by day by day by day. That's what we do. That's our characteristics. If you haven't got that characteristic yet, you can start it. And let's get going as we seek God. When I first became a Christian all those years ago, um, there was a book around the, called The Cross and the Switchblade. And uh, you may remember it. You may well have read it. It was a really good book. It was talking about a guy called David Wilkerson who was working with gangs in New York City, an extraordinary kind of like a mini revival amongst those guys who he was working with. And how did it all start? It all started by David Wilkerson turning off his television. Because he said, well, I suddenly realized I was spending an hour or two every night watching the telly. And I thought that wasn't a very good use of time. So he decided, I'm not going to watch the telly. I'm going to go to my study. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray and uh, see how God would like to use me. It all began by turning off his telly and saying, I'm going to use my time better. And I'm going to seek God. And look what happened. There was a salvation of, 
loads of guys, of some of the toughest guys in, uh, in New York as people got saved one by one by one. It was extraordinary. And it all began as he turned off the telly and sought God. So uh, that's the second thing. Uh, God, our creator, we've seen. Uh, God, our savior. And now finally, thirdly, uh, God, our king of glory. Verses 7 to 10. Have you noticed, uh, as you read that, or Steve read it earlier on, this phrase, king of glory, it comes five times there in verses 7 to 10. And um, uh, what do we mean by, there's a guy called uh, uh, Watson, Thomas Watson, so it's one of those things that, what do we mean by glory? And he said it's, a, it's the sparkling of the deity. And he said, uh, a sight of God's glory humbles, the stars vanish when the sun appears. And this is, a, this is a psalm which has got some congregational participation. So I think later on, assuming we have time, um, what we'll do is we'll so look at verse, um, we can practice now, look at verse 8, okay? I'm going to ask the question, and can you do the response in verse 8? Who is this King of glory? And we all say together, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Or the same verse 10, who is he, this King of glory? Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. But what's it mean, King of glory? What's it mean? Kevin Bacon is an actor, and uh, he starred in the uh, the movie Footloose. And when his son saw it, uh, he was sitting down with uh, Kevin Bacon once, and uh, he said, uh, Dad, that was really cool how you jumped up on the roof and swung from the rafters. How did you do it? And he said, well, I didn't actually do that part. A stuntman did. Someone who dresses like me and does things I can't do, things uh, that are a bit too dangerous. Oh, well, um, what about that part where you spun around on those parallel bars in the gym and landed, uh, landed on your feet afterwards? How did you do that? Didn't know you could do that. He said, well, no, that was a stuntman they were as well, not me. He's, he's, he's really good at gymnastics. Long pause. Dad, what did you do in the movie? <laughs> to which he replies, I got all the glory. Well, glory... It means God, our God, our Lord Jesus is the king who is glorious. He must have all the glory, all the credit, all the acknowledgement, all the praise, all the spotlight, all the fame, all the honor goes to him. And rightly so. So we look at, uh, at Psalm 24 and who's going to um, look at verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who may stand in heaven? Well, no one. No one at all unless they do verse 6. No one at all unless God is gracious and we receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, our Savior. So who should get the glory, the credit, the acknowledgement, the praise, the spotlight, the fame, the honor? Not us. We haven't done anything. I mean, imagine you're sailing from Bright Marina to Cherbourg, okay? And as you're going across, there are three or four of you on the boat. You're in the cockpit there. Um, you decided it's not that. It's pretty rough. It's not too bad. And then a freak wave comes and washes you overboard, okay? You're not wearing a safety line. Stupid. 
But you are wearing a life jacket and you are wearing a dry suit. And, uh, uh, and the Coast Guard help in the search and eventually, miraculously, they find you and you survive. And who gets the glory? Not you. Because you're the muppet who thought you could, in rough weather, you could be in the cockpit of a, of a sailing boat in the middle of the channel and that uh, you didn't need a safety line. You don't get the glory. You're the muppet. No, the glory goes to the Coast Guard, the helicopter crew, all the glory. And with your salvation, you're still a Muppet. And I'm a Muppet as well. We just contribute our our own sin. Nothing else, nothing more. But God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the King of glory. For today, for every day, and for eternity. For today... On this Harvest Sunday, who gets the glory? Well, it's not the co-op, and it's not Waitrose, and it's not Little or Aldi, or Sainsbury's, or uh, uh, Marks and Sparks, or anyone like that. No, it's God who owns it all and makes it grow. So we do say grace every mealtime, and we praise the King of Glory. Saturday before last, eight days ago, James and Laura got married, and they specifically asked that at the end of the service, in my final prayer, I could say grace for the refreshments. We were going to have the light refreshments just through uh, there, just after the service. So we did. And so we do say grace. As we recognize God's goodness. Or we go to the glorious countryside. And we don't just praise the National Trust, but we praise the King of Glory. When it comes to a nice holiday in an amazing place, uh, no glory uh, to you, but praise to God and glory to him for his amazing and glorious creation. I'm really looking forward to Men and Mountains on Friday. It's going to rain the whole week, by the look of it, on the weather forecast. That's my kind of weather. But, um, it's, uh, but we're going to a wonderful place, Lake District. And you know, when, and I will tell you, whenever we're driving up the M6 to go to the Lake District, I always look out for the first dry stone wall, which is somewhere between uh, Preston and Lancaster. And I'm praising God for that first dry stone wall because we're going somewhere with glorious countryside and the glory goes to God. And even if we can't see a thing walking in the lakes next week, we're still going to be praising God for some wonderful countryside that we will see at close up because you can't see any view whatsoever. Okay? Now, and we do that deliberately. Praising God and doing so consistently and slowly and deliberately because it's good for our soul. And today we give thanks and praise to the Lord. He is the King of Glory. Let's pray together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Today, Lord, uh, for your creation, we give you praise and glory today. And As he goes on here, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. And today, Lord, we praise you, too, that you are the Savior of this world. Lord, you're our Savior, and we give you that glory today, for you are worth it, and we love you. Amen.